This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Goodbye baseball, a walk-off. Winner from Mitch Hattiger. Swing, line, drive. This game is over. Goodbye baseball. Mitch Hattiger ties it up here in the bottom of the ninth inning. James Paxton has just thrown a no-hitter. The big lefty is getting mobbed out of the Now, mound. here's your host, Gary Hill. Hey, welcome back. Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Great to have you here. This is going to be a big weekend. Mariners take on the Dodgers for three games at Safeco Field, which is that's not the only reason it's going to be a big weekend. But at the same time, the Mariners take on the defending National League champions. The Astros and the A's will square off for three games this weekend. All teams off yesterday, all teams in terms of Mariners A's and Astros. So no movement yesterday in the standings. We go into things today looking like this. The Astros on top in the West, 74 and 47. The A's two games behind the Astros at 72 and 49. And then the Mariners two and a half games behind the Oakland A's. So Mariners will look to take care of the Dodgers this weekend, and of course we will all be watching the A's and Astros very closely as well. This is how things shape up for the Mariners and Dodgers. 7-10 first pitch tonight. Wade LeBlanc gets the ball in game one. Walker Bueller, a rookie who at times has been brilliant this season for the Dodgers, will go in game one. He actually got hit by a line drive earlier this season that knocked him out for a little while. Uh, got hit in the ribs, but Generally, he has been very strong this season. Saturday, game 2 Erasmo Ramirez coming off of his return to the rotation, and he was brilliant. Five scoreless innings. He'll take on veteran Rich Hill. The Mariners haven't seen in a while, former Oakland A. He's bounced around a little bit, but Rich Hill, the veteran lefty, will go for the Dodgers on Saturday. And then Sunday, 110, Marco Gonzalez against Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw's missed a lot of the season. I missed about a month dealing with a back injury, but when he has been healthy, he has been Clayton Kershaw. So the Mariners will have certainly their work cut out for him in game three of this series. Not going to be easy, although the Dodgers have really struggled. They won their last game on Thursday. They were off, or Wednesday rather, they were off yesterday, Thursday. But they had lost the previous five as their offense has been scuffling. They got, speaking of scuffling, and a little scuffle against the Giants. Puig suspended for two games. We'll see if he appeals and will be in the lineup at Safeco Field or not. No question, big series. And then the Astros came in right after the game against the Dodgers on Sunday. And it'll be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday against the Astros. And, of course, the Mariners hit the road, and they end with the A's. 
So some huge games coming up for the Mariners, and they are right there in the thick of things. Just two and a half games behind Oakland, and really it was that win on Wednesday that was so enormous, a giant swing. The A's were going for the sweep. Instead, the Mariners get the win, so instead of being four and a half out, they're two and a half out. That's a giant, giant swing. And it was a great ball game on Wednesday. The first two were very close. Mariners losing game one of the series by a run. Game two of the series, James Paxton gets nailed with a line drive in the first inning. Felix has to come in in long, long relief. And Felix was really good. Here comes the 2-2. Swing and a miss. That was filthy. The changeup that disappeared on Laureano. He is down on strikes. The first strikeout for Felix in relief, and he's retired five in a row. So Felix pitched well in game two of the series, ends up going five and two-thirds, five hits, two runs out of the bullpen earned, two walks, two strikeouts. The difference, a two-run home run by Jed Lowry. The Mariners could not muster much against Fires, who gave up two earned in six innings, had some opportunities, and then the bullpen shut it down. They got a couple hits off Trinan, which is more than a lot of teams can say, but couldn't push anything across. And we've talked about it. The A's, not a team you want to play from behind against. So they win game two of the series after Paxton had to leave the game, getting hit with a line drive on the DL now. So we'll see how long he'll be. And obviously the long-term ramification is pretty difficult. They really need him in the lineup. So... Uh, just a tough day They're in the rotation. Tough day all the way around for the Mariners. Heading into game three of the series. And game three was just a thriller. A pitching matchup. Brett Anderson and Mike Leak were just going toe-to-toe. They were outstanding. The right-hander is 0-2 again. Swing and a miss with a breaking ball for strike three. Holy smokes. Mike Leak with runners on at first and third. And nobody out strikes out the side. He fans Lowry, Davis, and Olsen, and the A's cannot score here in the bottom of the fourth inning. Leak goes eight innings, two hits, no runs, one walk, and six strikeouts. On the other side, Brett Anderson, seven and two-thirds, five hits, no runs, no walks, two strikeouts. This was a scoreless game back and forth going all the way to the 12th inning when D. Gordon comes up with a runner aboard, of all the scenarios you could have drawn up about how to break a scoreless tie, this was probably not the most likely to break the tie. Petit, his first pitch. Swung on a club high and deep to right field. Back on it, Piscotti. He looks up. It is gone. D. Gordon, a two-run home run, has broken the scoreless tie here in the 12th inning. Gordon has left the building. A two-run home run is greeted at home plate. He muscles up, drives it out, and the Mariners have the lead. It is two to nothing. Pretty improbable. <laughs> T. Gordon knocks it out with the two-run home run for the Mariners' lead in the 12th inning, and they hand it over to Edwin Diaz with two whole runs to work with. And he does what he always does. Edwin Diaz 
is ready. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. Down he goes. That one crackling over at 98. Pinder rips through, and the ball game is over. The Mariners have done it in 12 innings. It's a final in Oakland. Two to nothing. The Mariners get the win. The marathon is over, and Edwin Diaz ends it. Edwin Diaz ends it, locking down another save, having an incredible season at the back end of the Mariners' bullpen. Save number 47 for Edwin Diaz this year. Great win for the Mariners. Here's Scott Service after the game. Uh, you know, we got him in center field, and he started hitting homers. Uh, the Mariners have had center fielders that hit homers before. So, no, it was a really nice win, but you know, we don't even get in that spot if Mike Leake doesn't, again, unbelievable quality start uh gives up a couple of hits i think he had six one two three innings uh, pitch count was in check really was on top of his game today uh, you know comparatively i thought the day he threw in boston you know same type of stuff he just dominated them and we needed it we needed every every pitch every out from him and then you know bullpen stepped up you know we kind of mixed and matched a lot of guys are running on fumes didn't want to overextend them so uh they got some big outs and you know and eddie diaz but uh just kept saying every pitching change, we're going to score, we're going to score. We just got to hold them, and sure enough, we did. Early on, just the way that those pitchers were going back and forth, how much of that was the pace that they were setting and versus kind of the way that the at-bats were playing out, too? Yeah, both guys were very aggressive in the strike zone. You know, Brett Anderson had a really good sinker, good change-up, kept our guys in a lot of ground balls, uh, you know, and they were working really quick, throwing a ton of strikes. It just really couldn't get in the rhythm offensively, neither team. Uh, but, you know, you got to credit the guys that were out there, but... You know, we, we dug down, uh, needed to get this ball game today. You know, we started this road trip, 10 games on the road. We go 6-4. and four. Uh, You know, we come back home again. It's not going to get any easier, but uh, we're starting to play with our confidence again, um, some swag to our team, and, you know, you need to win these games late, and, and we've been good at it. Catcher caught 12 innings again out there, and that's a lot of zeros. Yeah, Z, uh, really good. You know, great at bat to get the walk before D got up there. So, uh, you know, it is. It asks a lot of Z. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're at in the season. Uh, you know, you need your guys to go and dig down deep, and Mike's certainly big and strong enough. But more importantly, you know, putting the right fingers down today and getting our bullpen, all of our guys, getting them through it is really big. Really big. the bat, did you think it was gone? I did. You know, uh, the way the ball's carrying here in the day to right field and right away, you know, uh, before it, did I think he was going to hit a homer? No. But when I came <laughs> off the bat, uh, yeah, I knew it had a good chance. Uh, you know, see get that ball, I can't remember what inning it was, it carried out there, and see didn't really hit that ball that good. So the ball always carries here during the day and certainly to right field. Started, these are going to be the kinds of games you play all season. It wasn't just with the A's, but the Astros as well. Just kind of just battles. Yeah, you know, we're going to be in all the games. You know, I like our pitching and our bullpen. If we put them in the right spots and somehow get these guys some rest, um, they're really good. They may not be the biggest names out there, but uh, they've done a nice job all year for us. And, you know, offensively, we saw some good signs uh, on this trip. But you're going to have games like today. You just got to figure out a way to win it and get a big hit late, and, and we did. How big was this one, all things considered? Well, I don't think I'm going to put too much yeah. uh, emphasis on it, but Oakland's playing very good. Yeah. You know, they're, they got a good thing going. They won a lot of games late, so it's nice to get one from them late in their ballpark. I believe you had the one inning that would have to strike out the three guys to get out of it with the fourth. I mean, can show you what he had there. Yeah, Mike's, uh, he has a tendency, he's done that a lot. He can dial it up. He's not a strikeout pitcher per se, but in those situations when he needs it, the big thing that Mike Leak doesn't do, he doesn't try to get strike three until he gets strike two until they get strike one. A lot of guys just put strikeout in their mind, and before you know it, they're falling behind in the count. Mike doesn't do that. He attacks the strike zone, and he makes pitches with two strikes, and he was able to do it again today. So uh, 
again, can't say enough about the job he did. There was Scott Service. Now let's hear from Mike Zanino after the ball game, after that big win against the A's. I mean, he, he had his stuff today. It was one of those things where it was a lot of fun to catch. You can move the ball around uh, through all four, four or five, however many pitches you want to say he has uh, around the strike zone. It was crisp. It was one of those things where it was just a perfect outing for him. So he can get a strikeout if he needs to, like in that situation. I mean, you know, he's not a strikeout. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he always leaves a little bit more in the tank. It's just one of those things where, you know, he was he's pitching to contact for the most part, but when he needs to, and uh, he showed it there. He gives you a lot of credit for being able to put together a scouting report after working with you know these guys facing the last couple days how much does that change his approach and how you attack him uh, i mean he's he's a um, he's a fuel guy i mean obviously he can reach swings and he does that so i mean i just try to give him a brief rundown of what guys have been doing and uh, you know we, we just sort of try to come up with something that we can attack guys with and uh, when he had the stuff he had today it becomes a lot easier off the bat did you think it was gone so, I couldn't. I was so tired. I couldn't tell you what was going on. I was just trying to extend in case it hit the walk and get the third. So if you got on, you said the, uh, the big I told him. Yeah, I told him I was going to be able to score from first regardless. It's probably a lie, but uh, it's one of those. It's one of those things where you're just trying to get off as much as I could. Uh, but once I saw numbers, I knew I had a chance. So now the Mariners get set to take on the Dodgers tonight at Safeco Field. Big weekend at Safeco Field. So we'll talk to you on Monday, and we'll see where the Mariners are at in the standings after the Mariners-Dodgers and Astros and A's all score off this weekend. Right now, fun conversation coming up with Justin Hollander. Chance to meet uh, one of the Mariners' front office personnel. Justin, it is really good to see you. You are a busy guy, and we don't see you a whole lot. First of all, thanks for taking some time and joining Gary and myself. appreciate having me on. So now you, your job title with the Mariners – uh, means probably almost nothing to almost everyone listening. You are the director of baseball operations. It's a very impressive title, Justin. What, what does that even mean? So it was once described to me when you're the director of baseball operations, you are standing at the bottom of a ladder, and whenever anything falls, catch it. <laughs> um, and that, that's roughly what the job is. It does mean something a little different in 30 cities, depending on who you work for and what the other people do. Uh, with the Mariners, I work with Jerry and Jeff Kingston on sort of management of the major league roster, rules administration, uh, optioning players up and down, contract negotiations, trade negotiations. And then with the Mariners, I oversee our scouting coordinators and our baseball, office, baseball ops assistants. So making sure that from a process standpoint, our scouting departments from the office are getting the information out to the scouts, amateur, international, and pro that they need to receive and getting the information in that we need to receive. Okay, so that sounds like a lot. It's, it's a lot. I'm a professional dabbler, you know, is another way of saying it. Like, I, I stick my nose in just about every department, sometimes wanted, sometimes unwanted. Now, you worked for Jerry in the same role, the same capacity, at least in terms of title, with the Angels. Uh, were your responsibilities basically the same for Jerry when you were with the, with the Halos? Roughly the same. Uh, as Jerry and I got to know each other, I was already in Anaheim when he got there. As we got to know each other, uh, he started putting me at the forefront of a lot of our personnel stuff, organizing our prospect list, things like that. A lot of the role is very similar in Seattle as it was in Anaheim. 
uh, in that regard. Maybe a little more rules administration, a little more heavily involved in the arbitration process, more from a point person standpoint as opposed to a support standpoint when I was in uh, in Anaheim, but roughly the same role. You know, the other uh, relationship we'd like to kind of know more about is when you were here in Anaheim, Scott Service was working with Jerry Depoto as assistant general manager. Uh, what was it like for you working with Scott uh, before Scott became the Mariners manager? Scott's awesome. Uh, he's, if not the biggest reason, he's 1A for why I decided to make the move to Seattle. Uh, to see him in, in that role, in the new role, and the influence he's had on me in my professional career, uh, always a good listener. I, I vividly remember in Anaheim, you would suggest something to Scott in PD, player development, or amateur scouting, international scouting. He's just very growth mindset oriented, very open mindset. He would say no. And then at 2 a.m. the following morning, you get an email. Tell me more about this. Why do you think it's a good idea? Um, you know, we used to call him Fun Uncle Scott. What? In Anaheim. Scott would come into the office. You know, he's 200 and something days on the road in that role. So he wasn't working out of Anaheim. He's traveling the country. He's traveling internationally. He's going to all of our affiliates. And then he pops into Anaheim periodically. And he's bouncing ideas off of everyone. The energy level goes up when he walks into the room. Uh, he's a great person to work for. He's a great person to work with. Uh, I can't say enough about just the, the influence he's had on my career as a professional executive. He's great. Speaking of your career, how did it all start? How did you get into baseball to begin with? So I went to law school, and I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I know that's a terrible way to spend $150,000, <laughs> um, but I didn't really want to do it. It was more I don't want to do anything else, so I just, I'll just i go to school in the meantime and borrow and live in San Diego for a few years while I do it. Uh, this is what I always wanted to do. Um, I felt like I needed something more on my resume, something more to hang my hat on. So I went to law school. I practiced law for four years, and while I was doing it, I took various baseball side jobs. I did an e internship with the ESPN Baseball Encyclopedia. I did an in uh, internship with ESPN Radio, and then I worked for ML Bam as one of their stat stringers in the park. And all along the way, I just gathered contacts and met people. And at a certain point, the Angels had a job opening for a full-time baseball ops assistant. They didn't have any at the time that I started. It was all you know, managers, directors, and above. And they were looking for someone to kind of be the dabbler in all the departments. And, you know, they weren't really looking for someone that was 21 or 22. The office was a little bit older. They needed someone that more trustworthy that was willing to go in and say, yes, I'll work 100 hours a week for no money and be counted on to do that, to not quit. So I interviewed with them. I was the third choice. Uh, they <laughs> offered, serious? I'm dead serious. They offered the job to two other people. Both of them said no for family reasons. They couldn't move their family and basically start over for the amount of money that type of job pays. I said, yes, I will happily take the massive pay cut from a uh, associate attorney at a law firm to go doing basically grunt work for a baseball team. So I packed up my car and moved to Anaheim from San Diego. It sounds like, though, your law degree has become a pretty big part of to what you're doing now. I mean, you mentioned arbitration, negotiations. I mean, there, there has to be some legal uh, backbone to all those things, right? It's more about thinking critically and problem solving than it is about like, oh, this, this thing I learned in civil procedure the first year of law school. <laughs> um, you know, if they want me to erase all that stuff from my memory and I can give back the debt, I would happily do that. But it was definitely a means to an end. And, you know, it, was, it, was, it worked out for me, so I have zero regrets about it. How much has front offices changed just in the time that you've been in baseball? Quite a bit. They're a lot bigger now than uh -huh. they used to be, and they were starting to get that way in 2008 when I started. There's a lot more people, and I, I, was, I noticed it especially when I got to the Mariners. I'm just looking around, and everyone is so young, and they're so smart, and I think the competition is outrageous. You know, We're competing with Google and Amazon and big tech and Facebook, 
for the brightest, most creative, smartest people in our advantages that people love to pull up to the park every day and say, this is my mm-hmm. office. Um, and in that way, it's awesome because everyone is excited every day to come to work. And I don't know many jobs in the world that you walk in and the level of excitement to walk through the door every day is as high as it is when you work for the Mariners. Like that's a cool thing. Uh, it brings energy every day. It helps you feel good about your job every day. With as much as you worked with Scott Service in Anaheim, how much do you work with him now that he's a major league manager? Probably not as much. You know, he is managing a staff of his own uh, to this degree. I, I do supervise our advanced scouting coordinator, so I will go down for the advanced meetings. We'll text every once in a while after a win, rarely after a loss. Like a thumbs-up emoji? Yeah, a thumbs-up <laughs> emoji or good decision tonight or <laughs> so-and-so looks great, you know, very surface comments. And then every once in a while, every – Two or three weeks, I'll go sit with them and just say, what, what do you need out of the advance report? You know, it, it's less involved maybe and, and less deep dive conversations than we had when he was the AGM. Tell us, tell us about the advance report. This means nothing to most people. Um, Emmanuel Sofuentes is really the, the point person on the whole thing. The advance report is a collection of subjective, what we see with our eyes, how to get them out, combined with all of the data that we can get through from StatCast, TrackMan, uh, hot zones, cold zones, outfield positioning, infield positioning, um, personal history matchups combined with what their pitches do matchups. We have card after card for the manager, the pitching coaches, the catchers. There's so much information to go around. I think really it's credit to our staff how much they pour through every three or four days and come up with a, a usable, workable game plan to pass along to the players. It's, it's unfair to hand a bulk packet to a group of players, particularly Mike Zanino, and say, memorize it. It's about digestible information, taking a lot and making it, putting it in a funnel and making it usable for the players out in the field. And it's really a credit to Emmanuel, to Jim Brower, to Mel Stottlemyre, to Brian DeLunis for distilling it all for the players. And so who becomes kind of the point, guys? Does the information have to funnel through the manager? I mean, ultimately? Ultimately, it does. I, I think that Scott is very good at delegating, so... You know, some of it goes to Jim, some of it goes to Mel, some of it goes to Edgar, and ultimately some of it goes to Scott and Manny, uh, Acta, and they all work together on what their area of responsibility is. Chris Prieto is owning the base running. He knows times to first. He, he knows pop times for all the catchers. He knows what's a good steal matchup, what's not. He knows tendencies for breaking ball counts because you're more likely to be able to steal a base in a breaking ball count than a fastball count. He knows when they pitch out. He owns that area. So all of our coaches, Scott Brocious knows all the arms from the outfield and how they charge a ball. Is it a long arm stroke? Is it a short arm stroke? Every single one of our coaches owns their area of the report. Scott tends to own the matchups, the, the game situation type things. Well, Justin, we don't, we don't see you much, uh, especially on the road. So this is a real treat. We, we've taken a lot of your time. We really appreciate it. it. Incredible insights. And we hope that we can do this again at some point. I hope so, too. Two kids under three, so I'll see if my wife <laughs> is okay with longer road trips in the future. But I'm going to try not to get divorced and stay at <laughs> home for the most part. Thanks, guys. You got it. Ernest L. Thayer, Casey at the Bat, uh, certainly one of the best-known American poems ever written. It's a, a mini epic that will probably outlive anyone who reads it. And in it, he captured the essence of a game that's humbled a multitude of Casey's since this classic was published in the San Francisco Chronicle way back in 1888. I'm sure you've heard it many times, and every time, uh, it's a great story. So here it is one more time, Casey at the bat. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The scorers stood 4-2 to two with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a sickly silence fell upon the patrons of the game. 
A struggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to that hope which springs eternal in the human breast, they thought. If only Casey could but get a whack at that. We'd put up even money now with Casey at the bed. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake, and the former was a Lulu. The latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey's getting to the bed. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second, and Flynn a hug in third. Then from 5,000 throats and more there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley and it rattled in the dell. It knocked upon the mountain and recoiled upon the flat. For Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his cap. No stranger in the crowd could doubt twas Casey after that. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. And then, while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance gleamed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching in a haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Take one, the umpire said. From the benches, Black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire, shouted someone from the stand. And it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He singled to the pitcher. And once more, the spheroid flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, He right, too! Fraud! cried the maddened thousands, and Echo answered, Fraud! But one scornful look from Casey, and the multitude was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold, and they saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lips. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate, and now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Well, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright, the band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.